Warning, the following content is not politically correct. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to the channel today, everyone. So I have an amazing guest today that I'm going to introduce you to. But before I get into that, um, I want to let you guys know, uh, you guys may have you know, heard or seen about Gays Against Groomers. Well, um, if you didn't know, I am a contributor to them. Um, and if you guys want to support, you can go to their website, gaysagainstgroomers.com. You can donate. Or um, if you want to purchase some of this uh, sweet gear that they got, go there. Use the link in the description and then make sure you use uh, checkout code Sarah uh, for 10% off. Um, and that's a good way to help support as well. But bef But... Now let's get into it. So my guest today is Tina Ramirez, um, my friend Tina Ramirez, because uh, me and Tina actually met what three or four weeks ago, uh, before a lot of this craziness happened. Um, and you are the founder of Hardwire Global, and you are a highly esteemed human rights expert. Welcome in. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Sarah. It's exciting to be on your show. Thanks. I know. So, so I know. I love it. <laughs> I know. It's we great. Well, it's interesting because I was. <laughs> what's that? I said we didn't know the world was going to fall apart so quickly. <laughs> you know, and that's what I was going to say. Um, I think I was going to have you on. I we I think we even talked about that when we were at the Richmond event. I was like, yeah, we need to get together and do some more stuff together. I'll have you on the show. And then Monday happened. Yeah. Christopher Columbus, <laughs> you know, I mean, who would have thought yeah. been so I mean, imagine my surprise where this my new friend um is is all over and all my friends are sharing her stuff because one Twitter Karen decided to harass you because of your stance on Columbus Day. Well, actually, your original tweet didn't even have anything to do with Columbus Day, right? No, no, it was just a just a very simple happy Columbus Day. That was it on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. And so for those of you that don't know, what's his name? I don't even want to say his name. <laughs> he um so this guy self-proclaimed world famous journalist. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is I think he's most no known for harassing women online. Mm -hmm. Like um <laughs> it's the same guy who a year or so ago harassed Target Tory and she made a bunch of money because they were like what are you talking about a over a toothbrush that he wanted for free basically. Mm -hmm. Um and then he also harassed a McDonald's um employee for not refilling his drink when he went through the drive-through. Mm -hmm. I, I mean that's the type of person that we're talking about here. <laughs> So on Monday, I do a tweet, just seemingly, you know, simple tweet that many people did, I'm sure. And he he attacked us. He sent me this, you know, message saying, you know, why are you supporting rapists, murderers, etc. So I responded to him and he didn't like my response. I said, I teach my daughter real American history. He didn't really seem to like that. I said, I'm not going to bow to the woke left, you know, what I teach my daughter. And uh, so he then responded back uh, and called me a racist. And I said, that's mighty bold of you. I'm a Hispanic woman. And my daughter is a, you know, is black. She's actually biracial. Her father is from Africa. He's not American. Um, and, <laughs> you know, this is not what I teach my daughter racism. I actually teach her the quite opposite. Uh, but, you know, mighty bold of you to, to um, preach to us. Do you want to 
preached to me about what it means to be a woman as well and women's rights, uh, at which he responded that he was calling Child Protective Services on me and literally stood on the, on the, the line for an hour with, with CPS uh, in Virginia, holding up the lines while, you know, who knows how many countless children actually needed help. And he was holding up the lines and and making light of it, you know, on his on his Twitter feed throughout the hour that he spent online. So it was it, you know, it was pretty um, horrific to think that someone had the audacity to go that far. You know, it's one thing to call the police, but like to literally attack you, call you racist, try to shut you down and then call Child Protective Services to literally try to take your child away from you because you disagree with somebody over the meaning of a holiday, literally just the meaning of a holiday. It, it's really beyond the pale and it shows, yes, he is a, a nut and you know, he should be held accountable for this. So it, it yeah. Yeah. Now you, you, uh, I, I saw your tweet. Now you contacted the AG's office, mm -hmm. AG or DA's office in uh, Virginia, right? Right. So attorney general, Jason Miares is here in Virginia. He was elected last year with governor Youngkin and Lieutenant um, governor Winston Sears. We have, you know, a great administration, we are very, very blessed here in Virginia and uh, to have this shift because, you know, obviously before last year, we would have had a horrible one, but he's been awesome. I talked to Jason's office and, you know, I know Jason, I supported him in his campaign. And so they've been extremely supportive and said, look, Tina, we're hundred percent behind you and behind parents and nothing will come of this. And then I also did look, um, contact our local police department as well so that they're aware of it. But, you know, he, he's still on Twitter. I mean, there's people are getting yeah. harassed and bullied all the time and you know he's still on there so so much for twitter's high standards right yeah and that's the hypocrisy right especially when it comes to like twitter and a lot of these social media sites is i i mean that was targeted harassment to the 10th degree that went that they used their platform to and essentially committed a crime by falsely reporting you mm -hmm. um and so but that's that's how these platforms work. So, right. I well, and I, I mean, Sarah, you know, I'm a single mother, and my daughter's yes. sole provider. So to literally call Child Protective Services over me is, you know, it's ridiculous. But this is what these leftist progressives do. They don't like your opinion, so they try to attack you, shut you down, and then they report you to the government. And the crazy thing is, you know, my background. I literally work in countries all over the world defending religious freedom, freedom of conscience freedom for people to believe differently and you know regardless of who they are what they believe this is what i defend around the world in countries yeah. like iraq sudan you know you name it communist countries like china and yet here in america this self-proclaimed journalist has the audacity to attack me and report me to the government to try to take my child away because he his feelings are hurt essentially yeah i, I mean it's, and it's insane it's because he disagreed with you on something. And, and that's the thing is, I mean, right. especially as a libertarian, I mean, CPS is one of the worst government agencies there is. And the only time they should be utilized is in the most extreme cases. But as we're starting to see with um, the left right now, that is starting to be their go-to when it comes to right. um, how they can attack conservatives if they, right. that they disagree with. Well, yeah, if they disagree, I mean, and it's fine to disagree. I mean, we can, we can agree to disagree, but Sam racist because of a holiday, because my biological daughter, you know, <laughs> I want to celebrate a holiday. I mean, that's, what's wrong with the progressive left. And they're, they're willing to destroy lives over their ideology. They're willing to put children who needed help last, you know, Monday night 
they were willing to put their lives at risk for their own moral, like leftist agenda. And I just, an ideology, I think that that's just so yeah. wrong. And that's, that's why Americans and parents in particular, I mean, this is what you and I, you know, met and what we were first engaged on yeah. was about the rights of parents and the rights of people to have civil conversations. And like, you know, what's wrong with our country that, there is no freedom to just disagree anymore and to have civil dialogue and for parents to have the rights to protect their children. Well, and that's, what's interesting is because yeah, we met at a no left turn education event um, here in Georgia. And then we spoke Then I was um, at the one up in Richmond. So we've, we've had two events together and I've got to know you. And obviously you're an outspoken advocate for parents' rights and you care about the children. And so it's just like with everything in your background, like what you do for a living and, and what you're doing for your, for the children is, is astounding that they would even have the audacity. It takes two seconds to look up what you do. <laughs> he didn't do a background <laughs> check, Sarah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're he right. The wrong, the wrong mama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's kind of, let's, let's move into that. Cause I do want to highlight like who you are and what you do. So I have your website. I'll pull it up here for a second. So hardware global, like you were talking about, you are human rights. Like you're a human rights expert and you travel around the world. You want to kind of talk about that a little bit, yeah. like what you guys do? Yeah. And I, I mean, cause it's not something I often talk about in this field where I'm, you know, I'm running for state Senate. So I'm usually talking politics, but I, so I started hardwired global uh, nearly 10 years ago and, um, I've worked in the field of religious freedom and international human, human, human rights for over 20 years. So I've written an encyclopedia of human rights here in the United States. It's called a Dictionary Documents of Human Rights in the U.S. I've written a world history of human rights in the U.S., um, a world history, sorry, not the U.S. one. And then several other books. I mean, I, you know, well-published, but this is my field. I love religious freedom. I'm passionate about it. And I want people to be free to believe what they want and, you know, to not be persecuted for that. And unfortunately around the world, over 80% of people or four out of five people live in countries where their most fundamental freedom is denied to them by the government or by hostile actors in society, which clearly is what I just experienced, uh, yeah. who, want to, who want to shut them down because they don't like what they believe um, or how they express their beliefs. And so I help people experience their most fundamental freedom and dignity. And so, you know, that's what hardwired is all about. And that's what we do all over the world. We're predominantly working in places like Iraq right now. Um, but many countries working on education, on legal reform and just helping people, you know, just have freedom. I mean, that's essential. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to I wanted to point this out too because I mean you look at these countries that you guys are working in Middle East, Nigeria, South Sudan, Iraq, Nepal, Sudan, you know Sudan, and it's like you know some bad racist you are. I mean, if you were going to be a racist, I don't think you would be <laughs> in those countries <laughs> actually working to help people in all those all those areas. Now, yeah. I was I was fascinated um, when you were here about your story about Iraq, though. So, because uh, you said that you guys were working, you because you, your main goal is to teach human rights in yeah. some of these places, right? And so, yeah. the one area you said it was formerly an ISIS territory that you were working in. Yeah, I mean, you served in the military, so I don't. Yeah. Did you? Were you in Iraq? You you were right. No, I served in Afghanistan. You're well, even worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> pick your poison, right? Um, yeah. Thank you for your service, Sarah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I have been, I mean, I've been working with the people of Iraq for many years now. Um, prior to starting Hardwired, I actually was on the Hill in the U.S. Congress 
and I founded the Bipartisan International Religious Freedom Caucus. So half Republicans, half Democrats, all working together in religious freedom for people of all backgrounds. And I saw a lot of conflict around the world, but unfortunately, by the time the U.S. responded, it was often too late for people, which I'm sure you saw in Afghanistan. Um, we realized that there needed to be real solutions for people on the ground to be able to respond and to have a culture of freedom in these countries that you know, we often take for granted here in America, um, obviously not yeah. this week, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so easy to take it for granted. And in these countries, I mean, they have no culture of freedom. They have no constitutional protections for religious freedom or for other freedoms. And, it, it, you know, so the basic things to speak your mind, to have a job where you're not discriminated, all of those basic things that we take for granted, they just don't have. So in yeah. Iraq, as you know, ISIS came in in 2014. I was pregnant with my daughter, the one that was attacked this week uh, at the time. And I, because I had worked in Congress on issues related to all of the minority groups there um, since the U.S. went into, into Iraq around 2003, these communities called me and they said, Tina, you know, please help us. And so I went in in 2014. I remember, and this is a story I don't even think I shared at the time, but I'll share it now because it's relevant to what happened this week. I remember sitting with a woman. So ISIS came in, destroyed you know everyone. The Yazidi community had zero time to get out of their homes. They were just literally, I mean, it was just, it was just horrifying, but they literally were just wiped out. There's 50 mass graves with the bodies of Yazidi men. So they couldn't fight. And then all the like 6,000 girls were held as sex slaves. And I had girls calling me on the phone. Well, they were calling the Yazidi leaders I was with on the phone and they would hand me the phone to hear the cries of these girls. And they would just, they were speaking in their language, but they were just saying, you know, please just bomb us just, just to stop the pain because it was so horrible what was happening. But I was hearing this and they were begging us to do something. And then I met with the Christian community and they had been given 48 hours notice to leave their communities. Um, all, I mean, these, the, the Christian church is 2000 years old in Iraq. It's one of the oldest Christian churches in the world. And they were mm -hmm. literally given 48 hours to leave their homeland, you know, with nothing on their back, even the rings on their fingers were removed by ISIS when they left. Um, and so I, I mean, it's just horrifying, but I met one woman who escaped and when I met her, her, she was there with her husband and she was telling me the story of how her ISIS came and forced her to leave her village and put a gun to her head and forced her to give up her child, her four-year-old child. And they said, you know, your choice is you can be killed or we're going to take your child. And so she, she had no choice. She was forced to leave without her daughter. And I remember sitting with this woman, her name was Aida, crying with her, praying with her, and just thinking, this is what happens in countries where you can't protect yourself, where there is no freedom, um, all because ISIS disagreed with who she was and what she believed, because she was a Christian. They destroyed everyone except for the people that looked and believed like them and forced them out or forced them to adopt their ideology, their radical ideology. And so, you know, um, gays and um, disabled communities. I mean, they were literally throwing people off of roofs. They, they had yeah. no, they issued fatwas against disabled people and gays. So, I mean, they had no respect of person. So it, life was, was horrific and it was hell under ISIS. And that was the situation I walked into in 2014 and the people needed a solution. So over the years, I mean, it's, we've, we've been there now, you know, since 2015 doing programs, but since then, so for the last seven years, We've, we've uh, been working with the leadership and the government in northern Iraq, so in Mosul and the Nineveh Plains, to train teachers that are now going in the schools with the government's full support to train um, 
to teach children religious freedom and human rights and to overcome the intolerance that they were taught. Because when ISIS was there for four years, nearly four years in those areas, they brainwashed the kids to be terrorists, essentially. They literally took these this little girl from this woman and they trained her, they 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 brainwashed her. I mean, it's it's horrifying to even imagine what, you know, because they thought they knew better. So I mean, so when what happened this week happened to me, it wasn't just like, oh yeah, you're attacking me. I, I remembered that story and I thought this is, we're not Iraq, you know? Yeah. This is America. Who, who the hell does this guy think he is? That's what I think. Because I'm like, yeah. and my friends in Iraq, I can tell you, I'm sure they're already posting about it on my feeds are asking me the same questions because they're like, what is going on with America? I mean, they saw people dangling off of planes last summer and they're like, what happened? What happened to America? We used to hope in America, um, the Kurdish yeah. people in, in particular. And they're like, Tina, we love you, but what is going on with your country? And I think people all over the world, Sarah, are asking that question because of things like this. This is insane. Yeah, the left and, I mean, even government. I mean, you know, Democrats and a lot of government, but mostly Democrats, they think that they know better than what you do. And it's, I mean, that's what we saw. I mean, hope, I mean, Virginia should have been, and it should be, you know, the playbook and how to defeat this though, and how we get back to where we were. Because when you stir up, when you, when you mess with parents, that's, that's when you lose most people. I mean, look what we saw in Dearborn, Michigan, just yesterday. It was amazing. It was amazing. And I, yeah. I know a lot of the people that were involved in that. It's so cool. I mean, Muslim and Christian communities came together and we're saying, mm -hmm. this isn't what we want. These are these are faith-based communities that were like, look, we don't want our children learning this junk. This is our right as parents to train our children, not yours. Stop you know, trying yeah. to indoctrinate them in this crap. I mean, that's essentially what they were saying. And I, you're right. And this isn't, this isn't a political thing either. In Virginia, yeah. we won with Democrats and independents and a lot of others coming to the Republican side saying, we don't want that either. You know, Asra Nomani is someone I know. She's a friend. She was she's a Democrat. And she she was one of the first people to stand up against this stuff a couple of years ago. I remember and I helped her file a case against the, the government um, for their stupid equity policy here in Virginia. I mean, we've yeah. been fighting this for a couple of years and it's been being exposed little by little. And I mean, it. I didn't realize at the time we were literally just at the tip of the iceberg when we were talking about equity policies because that was two years ago. And then we had yeah. CRP and it's like this iceberg keeps growing and it's disgusting. Yeah. And parents are like, yeah. what the heck is going on? This is not okay. It's it's not just okay for you to try to teach my child that I'm, you know, somehow because I'm, you know, a Caucasian female, I'm somehow an oppressor. I mean, to teach yeah. my black daughter that, well, who do you think you are? trying to turn my yeah. daughter against me. That's number one. Then to try to you know, push all this pornography and other junk on them in our schools, which is happening in Virginia. Yeah. Then the, you know, the transgender stuff where they're, they're saying that parents' rights don't matter. Keep, you know, keep it secret. You don't need to tell the, the parent. It, and then, and then now you, they literally want to take your kids away if you disagree with them. I just, um, you know, it's, it's really gotten pretty bad. And, there's been an exodus of teachers leaving education because they're sick and tired of it. I was an educator myself. I wouldn't want to have to be in a system where I have to teach this junk. Um, you know, I, I respect the rights of a parent. I respect the constitution. I respect the freedom of conscience of the kids that I, that I work with. Two years ago, I was saying, you don't tell kids 
what to think. You teach them how to think. That is the duty of a teacher. It's critical thinking, not this indoctrination junk. Yeah. I mean, but they don't know how to do that. Yeah. Well, I was trying to look to see if I had it pulled up. No, I don't, but there, I mean, um, it came out yesterday. Actually, yeah, I'll send it to me because the person that you were supposedly supposed to be running against for Congress stated yesterday that they should we should call CPS if if parents aren't affirming their ch the children's like gender identities. I mean, look, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, but this is. <laughs> the, the, I mean, you and I both know the science on this. We know. Yeah. We've had we've had medical doctors talk about. It. We we met you know just that beautiful girl Chloe Cole who talked about being transitioned. Um, because the influence of the internet and then how she regretted it and realized it was wrong and tried to detransition and how the met like th there's so much pressure on them to do the wrong thing when it, you know she wasn't even ready to make that decision and i parents yeah. are the ones that know best their children and the government needs to stay out of that so the, my first year of teaching sarah it's interesting because I was so fascinated by the situation in Romania with orphans that after my first year of teaching this was in the year 2000 so pre 9-11, I went to Romania and I visited all the orphanages and I, I was just fascinated. But, you know, I didn't realize in Romania at the time and this was before they joined the EU. So they so the orphanages were still around. And um, what I didn't realize was that the um, the parents were actually still alive. So they just they, they these weren't orphaned children. But the government said, give us your children. We know better how to take care of them, to raise them. And so people just put their kids in orphanages and the, the government raised them. And it was the most destructive things thing for this, these children. And I mean, seeing what happened to the children was just so abhorrent. And of course, when they had to you know, join the EU or when they decided to join the EU, the EU forced them to, to abolish all of the orphanages. So they did. But we're not, you know, we're not East Germany. We're not communist yeah. Romania. We're America. We're a constitutional republic. We believe in the rights of parents, and as I, you know, shared in our the, the meeting that we had with No Left Turn, it, we have a human right as parents to the protection and the and the care of our children. The government does not have that right; we have it. So, we do need to stand up and protect those rights. No, you're absolutely right, um, and that's what's interesting because you're right; it's been growing. Um, CRT was the catalyst that kind of started to be like to get and it which has and the reason why it's actually led into a lot of the queer theory stuff is because you told all white people that they were oppressors, no matter, they couldn't change that fact. And so how do they change and not feel so oppressive? They become part of an oppressed class. And so then they take on these, you know, a queer identity and, and it's, and at, at a time where they're still trying to figure out who they are and, and, you know, their bodies change and they may not like those changes that they're going through. So then you're telling them that they, they're probably trans. And so then they can just transition and be part of this oppressed class. So you don't have to be that. I mean, I've heard so many stories about kids coming out and being like, you know, I'm queer or I'm bisexual or I'm pansexual, even though they really aren't, they have no desire to actually date that sex. But you know, if you're bisexual, you don't, and you, and you don't and it, like, if you're a man and you don't date other men, nobody would know that you're actually bisexual, right? So you can just say it and nobody really knows. <laughs> we can call ourselves whatever we want these days, you know? I mean, well, you can identify however you want. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I I find it offensive when they when they 
they label the you know transgender woman the navy commander or whoever that person or secretary of something rachel levine yeah the secretary of yeah, health and human services because i'm sorry but being a woman is a hard thing and i like, you know it's it's not easy and there's distinctions for a reason so make yeah. a new category do whatever you want but you know it, it's just that's not right yeah it it's 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 anyway it's amazing. No, you're absolutely right. Um, let me see. Now, are you, I, I'm, I was a little bit confused when I was actually looking at so, some stuff. Are you running for office currently? Yes. So I, okay. yes, it's a little confusing because I was running for the U S Congress uh, last year until in Virginia, everything is crazy. They redistricted and moved me into another Republican seat. So I decided to step aside uh, for the congressman in the seat and to run for the state Senate instead, which is exciting because obviously we're ground zero since we had this massive election last year. Um, we, we won everything except for the, the state Senate. And so the Democrat that's the head of the state Senate right now has said she's going to be a brick wall against any policy Youngkin wants to push. And so even though Youngkin had this you know enormous mandate from the parents to write the, you know, the ship to correct the path that Northam had put us on. It was such a disaster for the last few years. Um, I mean, I think that we're like 47th in, in the country now in education. I mean, it's, it's just, it's plummeted so badly. It's embarrassing. And, and Virginia should be at the top, but yeah. anyway, so I decided to run for the state Senate and I'm in district 12, which is where I live. I live in Chesterfield. I have a huge base of support here because of having run for Congress and really getting out into the community and getting to know everyone. So I feel, you know, just, a huge base of support and really excited about being able to get into the Senate next year and be that we need two more seats in order to win the majority and uh, at least one. And then we'll have a 50 50 and win some Sears can be the tie breaking vote. So, so I hope to be that at least that one. And if not, you know, we'll, we need two, but, um, but I'll at least be the one that we need to get the 50 50 and uh, be able to push forward some policies to, to really protect parents' rights and yeah. protect our children and to ensure that, you know, the government just stays out of our lives as much as possible. Yeah. What's your, I mean, in that area, what, what is your odds of winning, I guess? what Because they used to say plus, plus one or minus two in terms of the district. Yeah. So the, the seat that I'm in is an R plus 12. So it's like a 12, it means 12 points to the Republican side. So it's a very strong Republican seat. I mm -hmm. feel very very confident in, in, you know, being able to, to win the seat. And like I said, I have this huge base of support just to give you an idea. I, it's kind of hard to imagine, but in Virginia political history over the last 12 years, I mean, we were pretty much controlled by Democrats. And so uh, last year when I had my, my launch party for my congressional race in November, right after the, um, after the election, we had over like 500 people show up and that was one of the largest launch parties, even with all the people that ran last year in the last 12 years of Virginia history within the Republican party. So it, we, we have it from my County and um, we had more people sign up for my convention a couple of years ago than we had even vote in some of the most recent primaries. So it, I have a huge base of support. I feel very good about it. Obviously I think everyone's heard about me this week if they didn't know about me already. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, we won the election last year on parents' rights, and I've been out in the forefront and very vocal for the last few years on that. But because I was a teacher, I'm a single parent, and I care about the, the education of my daughter, but this is what I do all around the world. And so, yeah. you know, there were some Republicans that told me not to talk about it, not to talk about CRT, not to talk about transgender stuff. But I said, look, I'm a human rights person. And yeah, 
I think you were about to say it before, Sarah, this is Marxism. Like the roots of all of this stuff is actually Marxism. And so yeah. when right after my first congressional race, a parent had sent me an email from a local high school, literally one mile down the street from me, where they were sending out two articles from the Southern Poverty Law Center that promoted Marxist theory to address racial tensions. And I thought, you know, it's interesting to me that that's your answer because I work all over the world in places where they're, you know, they just commit genocide against each other. Let's put it bluntly. Yeah. You know, so racism at its worst, right? And and yet, even in those contexts, Marxism isn't the answer. Like, if yeah. I use that, they'd be killing each other still. What I said is, no, you have inherent human dignity. And I broke down their misperceptions and their stereotypes one another. I ta taught them how to actually value the dignity and freedom of one another, not live under fear of people just because they're different and learn how to be able to have differences in a place where they don't have to kill each other over those differences. Um, and, you know, instead of addressing tensions over racial issues here in a productive manner, in a civil dialogue manner, they just want to shut down op opposing opinions, promote Marxist theory, and teach you know all people that are Caucasian that they're now racists and bigots. And yep. I mean, look, if we did it in Iraq to the oppressors, i.e. ISIS, and we said, you know, whatever we want to say to them or anybody that's Muslim in that country, X, Y, and Z, because you're associated with ISIS, all of a sudden you're oppressors. That's not the answer. You know, they're, those are the people that are working with me now to actually defeat the, the radical ISIS ideology that destroyed so many lives. Um, yep. the, the person that opened up the doors to, to Mosul for me was a judge, a Muslim judge from Mosul who fled and then had his 17-year-old brother beheaded by ISIS and continued to, to oversee the court of justice to bring um, justice to the victims of ISIS. And he did that at risk of his own life, but because he believed in the freedom of these other religious communities and, and other people to live with their dignity. So their model here is, it's not just wrong, it's just dumb. It's just, it's, it's, it's progressive. Yeah. It's regressive. It's not progressive because when you think right. about it, right. I mean, you start, we, we were at a, at a point where we were, in a, in most ways, we, there was very much color blindness here. People really didn't see color as, you know, in a, in a determining factor. Racism was very small. And now they want to do, they want reverse segregation. They want, you know, black only spaces and universities and they want all this other stuff. And, you know, and then they want, and then again, yeah, then they use sex, sexist stereotypes to tell people, oh, you, you're, you're, you're not a boy, you're not a girl. It's based off of your stereotype, not, not, you know, who you are, or even that you have a, you know, a cognitive uh, or a, a, dis a disorder like gender dysphoria. So it's like they want to say, you don't need that. Just identify. Oh, you like trucks. You're you're a boy. Well, <laughs> truth wrong. is relative to them. And, you know, well, it's postmodernism. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> and that's ultimately the challenge. But what we have now is we have this like it, laws and rules now in their mind are based off of your feelings, not based off of common values within society. And you have no human rights if you don't have those common values. It feelings that creates, you know, chaotic subjectivism, moral chaos. You, you yeah. can't base laws and the rule of law, which we have in our society, off of feelings. Yep. People get offended all the time. <laughs> That's life, you know. I mean, part of part of life is that we have, you know, different opinions and beliefs and we have to learn how to how to challenge each other well and have civil discourse so that we can, you know, try to 
better understand what truth is, but it's not shutting people down, silencing them, reporting them to the government. That's what authoritarian oh, yeah. totalitarian okay. governments do. That's not what people living in a free well, society should be doing. And so, um, cause you, you, you're kind of stuck right in the middle of Richmond and Petersburg, right? So yes. you kind of have two kind of almost Democrat strongholds there. Um, and, and when I was up there, we saw again, Richmond or Virginia, it's, it's great be, to have you on too, because Virginia has been in the center of everything lately. It seems like too, um, if it's not Florida, it's Virginia. And so it's like, when I was up there, there was the not so grassroots walkouts, right? They, they were promoted as being organic grassroots, but then we find out that it was backed by, you know, these big government organizations and stuff like that, right? <laughs> well, it wasn't even a big walkout. There are a few students that walked out. And of course, the media always pretends like this is like a massive walkout. I think they said there was like, you know, just a, a couple dozen students. It wasn't. It, yeah. It wasn't even the big walkout. Now, I, I mean, because like, and, and it was and, mostly you know, me, in I, Richmond and then Alexandria area. <laughs> I don't, I only know my area. I, I know it's yeah. it was like, it wasn't that many, but you know, the interesting thing is my, one of my neighbors was telling me that at the middle school where they did that walkout, um, that the kids are now debating whether they should have bathrooms for furries. Of course they are. <laughs> Do you, did, did your audience know? I mean, I didn't even know what a furry was until last last Christmas or two Christmases ago. My my niece was home from college and she was talking about furries. I'm like, what is a furry? Like, is this this? Yeah. Meal? Should I oh get my. it for Abigail? And, <laughs> and they said, I mean, no. I mean, it's a person that believes that they're an animal. We saw in the video Matt Walsh did. What is a woman? I just I'm shocked that you know. I mean, I don't. What is that? Animal dysphoria. So well, what do you for, call that? I don't. So well, there's there's trans species. Is it's, it's trans species is what we saw like that. Like we've seen that stuff, but furry is actually a little bit different too because furry they actually wear like these big these big things, and you don't want to know. Actually, Blair White I think just released a video yesterday. I haven't watched it, but I think it's about furries too. She reacts to some of these furries on TikTok. Um, but usually, furries are it's always been like this sexual fetish stuff where they wear like, it's almost like these cartoon like costumes mm -hmm. and then they dress up and go to conventions and you, you're you can think of what they do at these conventions. <laughs> I don't, I don't even want to know, but it's more, it's more, it's it, more, was. I'm, I'm a it used to be like kind of a fetishy thing, you know? So. And now it's, and now it's, you know, kids think that they need their private bathrooms for their furries where they actually have litter boxes. I mean, this is, you know, there's got to be some standard of truth in society and kids are kids. I mean, they're, yeah. you know, I know what it was like being in middle school. You know what it was like. Yeah. I, I want my child going to school to learn how, how to think, you know, how to think critically, how to make sense of the world, reading, writing, math, the basics. She loves robots. I want her to go and discover science and, you know, explore the world. Like I, I want her to just yeah. do seems should be normal and yet everything they're doing is they're politicizing the classroom and and that's not okay i was a teacher and i taught my students how to think and i taught them critical thinking and i taught them the u.s constitution i wanted them to really understand those rights because they have to operationalize them in real life and yeah. now i see young people that are unable to operationalize any first amendment freedom because they don't even understand it they don't understand yeah. where their rights 
begin and end, where their responsibilities begin, because no one talks about responsibilities anymore, of course. Yeah. And uh, well, we talk about hate speech. I mean, think <laughs> about, can anybody define what hate speech is? If you're offended, it's a feeling now. I mean, that's- Yeah, no, that's, that's what I mean. It's like, yeah. it's the same thing as what is a woman? What is hate speech? You know, what is an assault rifle? I always use that one too. Well, it's like, you, if you can't define it without using like an individualistic feeling for it, then it has no meaning. Right. <laughs> Well, we, I mean, it's fascinating to me to see these conversations because, you know, as we mentioned in the beginning, my background's in international human rights. I don't want to get too wonky on you, but we spent 10 years fighting policies at the United Nations because the Islamic states under the, under the guy, under the leadership of Pakistan were pushing um, censorship laws like blasphemy laws and basically trying to criminalize speech that was offensive of Islam at the time. And we fought them and, and there were a lot of Muslim organizations worldwide that stood with us in that and said, no, you have a human right to speak whatever you want, especially religious speech, religious speech under international law has extra protection. Um, and you, because religious truth claims are necessarily in conflict, right? So you can't say, well, I'm offended because your truth, you know, your religion says this and I believe this and you must, you know, because I don't believe it, I'm offended. So you can't say it, or yeah. you need to now go to, go to, prison because you said something that offended me. So we spent 10 years, we fought it, we won because it's ludicrous. And now here in America, we somehow want to shut down people who have differences of opinion, not even about religious ideas, but about anything. But, you know, and then say, well, the government knows best how to raise your child. The government knows how best. It's, it's just, it's crazy to me that in a country that literally has led in the world of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of religion, and given hope to billions of people around the world who are silenced by their governments every day, that we are now the ones saying, shut up, listen to the government, just fall in line, be a sheep. Well, I, I actually think that we're still leading the world, but the rest of the world is going off a cliff. I mean, in Canada, and I think, and actually I got one, of the, I got my first uh, Twitter notification the other day in my email that somebody reported me to the German government and, and so have you ever seen those? No, no. So, so no. the German government, like you see it all, you actually see it quite a bit because they say they'll send you a report and say you either violated German law or you yeah. didn't. And so when somebody reports you, they have to notify you. And I mean, I didn't wow. violate their law, but I mean, we're seeing cops show up on people's doorsteps yeah. in, in countries around the world to be like, you said this on Twitter, is this you? And they're like, and then they get fined or jailed or, you know, all this stuff no, for it's it. Just, it's insane. It's crazy. And I, what people don't understand is that social media is often the only, the only vehicle people have in these countries to even speak out and have a voice. And so to start stifling that, censoring it, controlling it, it, it denies them the only way that they can have freedom. I mean, imagine where Cuba would have been or Iran would have been if they didn't, if those protesters didn't have the ability to speak out and call other people to their cause and to stand with them. And that's why these governments try to censor and shut those things down is because yeah. that is their lifeline. And um, I mean, that's why China has a great, great firewall, you know, because um, yeah. they want to control thought and speech. And that's what authoritarian governments do. America should not be going that direction, but the democratic party, these progressive leftists are going that way. And it's, it's, um, it's extremely dangerous. And that's why we have to stand up and speak up when we can. And that's why I do, because I have an ability to, and I have the background that I can, and I'm not going to be silenced. And I don't want anyone to be silenced, whether I agree with them or not. Everyone has the right to speak their mind or to, to believe in whatever they believe in. That is, it is not my right to take away their freedom of conscience.
No, you're absolutely right. That's like when everything happened, I was like, okay, well, Tina's been to Iraq. See, that's the thing is you went to Iraq and you didn't have the protection of a FOB or up armored Humvees and everything like that. So at least like when I was in Afghanistan, we had all this protection and stuff to defend ourselves with. But so I'm like, so Tina's going to Iraq. You know, she's not going to be. <laughs> I, I, I joke this. all the time on the campaign trail. I deal with dictators all the time. Democrats are nothing. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So I actually was doing some research because um, I have a piece. It, it should be out tomorrow, actually, um, about SEL and learning 25 in schools or yeah. 2025 in schools. And it's just astounding. Um, and it's and it's interesting because it's all the because it was actually I got the idea at the no left turn event here yeah. when they were talking about it here. And it astounded me because when you start seeing who's sponsoring these things, it's all the same global elite that you see sponsoring everything else that we're doing. You know, Zuckerberg, Gates, all these all these foundations are sponsoring these school programs, which are essentially implementing implementing social credit scores. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's terrifying. And they're not just doing it in schools. I mean, I was shocked that they're doing it in my county. I thought, okay, we have a triple A rating in our county for finances. How do you bring on an ESG standard, some social standard on top of that? Like, you know, why would anyone that's giving financial credit look to that as some kind of measure of value? But I guess they do. And I thought, well, you know, I want to stick to like the financial solvency of my community if I'm going to invest in something, but it's, it's everywhere. But in our schools, it just, I mean, I, I've taught human rights uh, to students. I, I taught it in the classroom 20 years ago here in the United States. These are based in constitutional values, inalienable rights, mm -hmm. so equality, non-discrimination, freedom of speech, of conscience. These are all these are all American values, American rights, constitutional rights. It, it changes people when you teach them these things. They become, you know, better people. They respect the dignity and freedom of others. They they become better citizens. Uh, and so to squash that and to replace it with you know, let's be careful how someone feels and, you know, and then be a bunch of sheep and just conform to, you know, whatever ideology is prevalent at the time. It's extremely confusing for kids. It's damaging, but it's just unconstitutional. And it's yeah. unhealthy for a civil society like ours. So. Well, and I think that's what's interesting, because when you told your story about Iraq at the, at the event, it was like you were basically deprogramming these kids to not hate other people and teach them that other lives have value because they were so brainwashed. Mm -hmm. And yet now we're doing the we're, we're going the exact opposite direction here. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. I mean, these are children that were literally brainwashed under ISIS to hate and kill people who believe differently. Um, I mean, they would walk down the street and they would see bodies of people that dissented from ISIS hung on the street signs, you know, on the street lights. They would go in the churches is where ISIS held up court and would sentence people. I mean, so it was it was terrifying. And so, you know, when we started our educational programs in Iraq, we had to really work with these teachers first and then the children. Um, but we worked through teachers to help them recognize the fears that are in the children towards one another, recognize the misconceptions they have of one another. You know, I mean, they want to associate every Muslim with ISIS, which, you know, I, I understand that. I mean, that's what they that's what they've been programmed to think if they're coming from the outside. If they're on the inside, they're programmed to see Christians or Yazidis as devil worshipers and um, infidels, et cetera. And so there's just a lot of misconceptions that they were taught. They have to work through a lot of fear, a lot of just bias, a lot of mistrust. And so we work through that with them. 
to teach them to value the dignity and freedom of others so that their starting point isn't, you know, what they see on the outside, but you're a human being, you have value. It's totally separate. It's totally different in an opposite basis than the, you know, the Marxist approach where you see everyone is either an oppressor or an oppressed. This is no human beings have value, have dignity. That's American, like inalienable rights, right? We're all born free and equal. Look at the humanity of the other person. And then from that, you know, you can have differences, but how do you, how do you live civilly with people that you may disagree with? Um, where can differences of opinion, you know, be starting points of conversations, not flashpoints of conflict, we often say. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's like the stuff that they're pushing in schools now too. It's, it's all about equity. Every, that's the thing is you hear equity everywhere and equity is like the basis of Marxism, right? It's to give to people who are, are oppressed from the oppressors. Yeah. It's, it's just their whole theory doesn't work within education when, when you're tr working with children, you know, yeah. wherever they got it from, you know, take it back. <laughs> <laughs> but like within education where you're working with children you know you you don't train them to see people to classify people as an oppressed oppressor and none yeah. of those categories ever hold so what i'm hispanic caucasian so by nature the fact of i'm let's say heterosexual you know female what you know caucasian hispanic i am in the oppressor class and my daughter because she's african you know uh, whatever that now she's in the oppressed class. And so she has to, she has a right to take things from me even by force and, or to, it, it none of it makes sense. These, equity, it doesn't. no, I mean, it just doesn't, you can't even rationalize it. But in Virginia, what they were doing when this started is that they were, um, they were pushing equity policies in our schools where they were actually saying, you know, blacks and Hispanics are less, uh, able to to pass certain science stem tests and so they're not getting into the best schools so we need to lower the standards for them so that they can get in well i'm sorry but you're saying that my daughter because of the color of her skin is somehow incompetent and can't you know or was you know yep. was not raised well enough or whatever you want to call it so that she can't compete you know i don't know if i could compete i'll just be honest <laughs> By the brain, but my daughter is brilliant when it comes to science. I mean, she schools me on things all the time. I, you know, I'm because I'm teaching her to be a critical thinker, right? And she's she's amazing. And I just think don't don't prejudge my daughter because I teach her every day not to do that. Yeah. And this is something you're always working with your children on. It, it never ends. That's the job of a parent is to parent and to work yeah. with them because you know they're they're gonna they're gonna say things. They're gonna. I mean. It, having prejudices that, you know, misunderstanding, all of that's normal. It's natural. Just you, you talk it through with them. You help them yeah. see different perspectives. I mean, that's just part of learning and growing and having a parent that's willing to do that rather than one that's saying, no, you have to see the world in a certain way. It's just, yeah. You know? Yeah. She, she would actually love the school. I think it's actually here down in Georgia. Um, Cause I was again, doing research for this. I was got down this rabbit hole of AI and but there's a school that teaches everything revolves around AI. So like math problems have AI wrapped into it, and it's all about you know robots and doing all this stuff. So it's it, it almost seems a little creepy, but if she's like that's what they're trying to push as it's like it's like the CRT stuff where it's a math problem. Like if if this person's black and then this person's white and this person has five cookies and this person has, you know, four cookies, 
who, you know, who's the oppressor? <laughs> like those questions, but no. It, it, so I think that she would like this, this type of AI system, but <laughs> this type of AI uh, um, yeah. schooling, even though it seems like they're trying again, it's all conditioning. They are conditioning children. And like you said, it, it's, you know, SEL is basically ESG for schools. Yeah, we just, we've got to get back to the basics. And, you know, I was, it, it's so concerning to realize that most of these counselors are not um, professionally trained. They have, you know, no professional, you know, you know ability to even be talking to our kids. Um, it's just, it, they're, they're going places that they should not be going in the schools. We need to get schools back to ed being back to education again. That's what schools need to be yeah. about. Not about indoctrination, not about, you know, whatever the, you know, the current trend is socially. Kids need to be able to, to make sense of their world and to be, to learn how to be critical thinkers so they can do that. And right now they're not, they're not being, and we're not supporting the teachers to do a good job. We're, yeah, I mean, a lot of this training and this wokeness is being forced on them or that's coming out of the teacher training schools or from their administration. There's a lot of good teachers that, you know, don't want any part of it. They're leaving the teaching profession because of all the stuff that's being pushed on them. And our kids are the ones that are, that are suffering because of it. So it's, we need yeah. to, we need to change that. But really my suggestion is school choice and having the ability as parents to, I mean, kids need to make, be able to have, be in the driver's seat and carry their money to school, like their backpack. Yeah. They need to be in charge, have choices in their education. It needs to be competitive. And that's the only way that we're going to, as Americans, excel in this globalized world yeah. uh, in the future. Yeah, I tell legislators that, that when I consult with them about bills that mm -hmm. have to do with schools and stuff, I'm like, you know, <laughs> preferably I would just have you guys do a, you know, fund students instead of institutions bill. But if you're going to, if you're going to write this bill and you can't get that bill passed, and so this is the next option. Okay, let's work on it. Um, because you're right. I, you know, if they want to fund, if, if, if a parent wants to send their kids to this woke school and they're teaching all this stuff, then, then all, by all means. But if you want to send your kid to a religious school, then that should be fine too. And then at the same time, if you're going to have all this stuff, especially even like the sex ed stuff, like when they publish the curriculum for that school year, at the beginning of the school year, uh, you know, parents should be opting in to this stuff. And it's not, not an opt-out system right. where we've even seen the opt-out system being taken away in some places. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree with you. The opt-in is, it, it should be a standard so that we don't have to worry about this, but, but really we, we need to address it within our uh, teacher credentialing, within our teacher training colleges, um, it, you know, and just universities in general, there's a lack of critical thinking and that's, that's really where it all starts in many ways. And obviously on social media, there's a lack of critical thinking. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it, you know, it's like it, we just, we need, we need kids to, to be able to understand. Um, I mean, just th they need to be able to, to, to be able to defend themselves in these environments. And, and sadly what's happening is that many kids are being bullied and harassed in the education system by their teachers, by the education yeah. system, by you know their peers and their, their conscience is being violated. And that's my concern because, you know, that is, I believe one of, we, you know, we, at my organization, we say, you know, you're, it's hardwired into you to believe in something, to have the freedom and 
to believe in something and to live with dignity regardless of what you believe. It's hardwired in you. That's who we are. We have that freedom hardwired into us. And there that's what's being taken away in the schools. And so I I do take that very seriously because that's yeah, I see the results of that around the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the in these the <laughs> you said uh universities, and I'm like, these universities are the indoctrination factories, you know, yeah. they're the ones teaching this stuff. Uh, to these, and, and and it's interesting because you see the same type of people that are going into education. That's that's the problem too, is we don't have enough good, freedom-loving Americans going into education. It seems like it's a lot of woke people that are going in. And and like you said, a lot of the good teachers now, they're seeing this coming and they don't want any part of it. So they might be, you know, they're just getting out um, and, and going to do something else. I mean, they could, <laughs> they could probably go make a lot more money somewhere else and or, or retire and and, and it's sad. I um, mean, it's like my generation has seemed to have forgotten everything that we've even were taught. Like now that there's like a school, I forget where it's at. I, I, I mentioned something about it last week, but there's a school somewhere that they are setting up online chat rooms for ages 13 and up yeah. to talk to like adults yeah. about like situations like, us. And, and then I think they're, I mean, it's it just reminded me of like the Prostasia stuff, which is like a pro pedo organization that had online chat groups for thirteen and up, and it's yeah, I'm like it's this not- is my generation. We grew up on the internet. We knew this about AOL, and mm-hmm. now it's like, oh yeah, go do this. <laughs> They're throwing it away. Yeah, when my daughter went to school last year, they issued to a public school briefly. They issued her a laptop, and I just thought, you know, I, I work really hard to not get my daughter to to just sit on the computer or to like focus on TV. I want her to be reading books outside in nature, like thinking, being creative. I don't want her staring at a computer. She has her whole life to do that. You know, she sees me do it. I don't need my kindergartner, my first grader sitting on a computer. And, you know, sadly during COVID that was their solution. And um, it, you know, it's just, it's really disappointing because I think there's, you, you hear about all the tech experts who they don't let their kids get on that, you know, when they're young, because yeah. they know what it does. I want her to think for herself. And because I want her to think for herself, I, you know, that is not a part of, of her life. I mean, it is important that she, yeah. I mean, we talk, we've, we've talked through what happened this week. We had the conversation because once again, I want to parent my child. I want to be the one that talks through these things with her and what, what the government's doing, what the the woke, you know, progressive left are doing is they're trying to take those conversations away from us. They're trying to be the parent to the child. That's why in Virginia, we're having these challenges because, you know, Terry McAuliffe last year said, well, no, it, parents shouldn't be a part of this. Parents don't have a right to tell the teachers what to do. It's like, well, whose kids are they? You know, yeah. that, that's why we're these, cha- because they want to try to raise our kids. They want to try to tell our kids who they should be. And um, parents are just not okay with that. And you're like, you said this, I mean, it's a bridge too far for most parents. And mm-hmm. I hear it all the time on the campaign trail. It, it Across the board, parents are not okay with the government telling their kids, t- telling them how to raise their kids. They're just not. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear it like in the trans against groomers uh, mm-hmm. posts and like on, on Facebook and stuff, like people comment all the time. Like they're, they are like leftists, but they don't agree with this going after kids. And it was like what I said in, in Virginia, it's like, you know, we can agree to disagree on so much stuff, but when it comes to children and it comes to parents' rights, I think most people are in lockstep. There's not very many people that have children that um, that are going to give that up and think that the government knows better. 
Well, and you know, so I'm a human rights person. And what's amazing to me is that you know, there's, a, there's a convention on the rights of the child. And in that convention, it recognizes the rights of parents. And it, it talks throughout the whole document and, you know, your viewers can go and, and look it up. But the whole document is about how to protect the best interest of the child. And the best interests of the child are always protected by the parents, first and foremost. The parents' rights are never taken away because of what the child thinks or feels that they need or want. And so you got to go back to the, you know, the, the primary unit, you know, of the family, of the parents overseeing their children's upbringing and education. Because, I mean, I know... For my daughter, and I only have one, um, I know how important it is for her. Like, I am her world. I am her life. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine if the government tried to take me away, how that would just throw her whole life and world upside down. And, you know, and that's essentially what they tried to do this week. And, and can, do they, I mean, the stupid guy, David Levitt, does he even consider the the social, emotional, the, the, the impact on a child when he tries to do that, you know, I mean, does he no. really care about children? No, 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 he doesn't. No, obviously it's obvious. He was just trying to score points and do that. But, but children, they need their parents. It is, that is their security. I mean, we know this from psychology, like <laughs> it's just, and it's sad that that's what they would go after. So it absolutely is and i guess that will be kind of how we how we start to wrap this up now i do want i do want to ask now um so you, you went to the ag are they looking at possibly bringing false report charges on him well i don't i can't say what they're doing yet but i know that they've i mean committed their 100% support for me and that nothing will come of this and i know that like my local police as well um is is on top of it but i know that a lot of people have submitted claims and and reported reported uh, this guy, and you know so far Twitter hasn't done anything. So I think people should be flooding Twitter right now and saying, "Why yeah. aren't you doing something?" Um, yeah, like yeah, everybody I, mean, I know reported him on Twitter, and he's still up. So I don't get it. So I think we need to just do it even more. You know, maybe Elon yeah. Musk will tweet us next and say, like, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's insane. I I can't imagine that he would be okay with somebody trying to take away, you know, his kids because that he. No. They disagree politically with his his opinions. I mean, come on, it's it, that like free discourse is fundamental for any civil free society, and that's not that's what they they don't want that, and that's the whole problem with the progressive left. They really don't want a free society. They want yeah us to follow them, and that's not okay. Well, and that's what it is. They think that they are right. They are you are wrong, and um. If you don't agree with them, then you must submit or they will punish you type thing. And that, I mean, that, that whole thing that we saw this week was, you know, Solinsky's rule number 12, you know, mm -hmm. find a target, isolate the target and, and personalize it. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. He uh, didn't isolate us too well, did he? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, your, your Twitter, your Twitter account's been growing <laughs> like crazy. Well, and, and it's why we have to stand together. It's why I, I, you know, I, literally will never shut up because I am not like, you know, don't pick a fight with me. Just don't because, yeah. and especially not when it comes to a kid. She, I mean, she is my world. I love my little girl more than anything. And you know, I mean, she is my, she is my treasure. And like, yeah. you know, when yeah. I was pregnant, I was six weeks pregnant. I mean, people always tell women, you know, if you're in a difficult situation, just get an abortion. And I remind my daughter every day, like I always wanted you. I am so thankful. You are my gift. I, and I feel bad for women that, that are told that, 
because they mm -hmm. are being robbed of that most precious gift. And I know that's, you know, yeah. maybe not what your viewers care to hear, but for me, <laughs> that is like the, I just think so many people are robbed of that, of that gift. And I'm just like beyond yeah. in love with my little girl and just the thankful for her. So yeah. And, and, and I met her and she is a very nice, kind, um, what is it? Um, just very, very good child. So. Yeah. I mean, people, everybody that knows her, I mean, it's, and she, believe me, she's a tough one too. So <laughs> you know, apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but it's like, but I, you know, you have to raise a strong, a strong child and a strong young woman because the world isn't an easy place. And, um, and especially in this environment, yeah. you have to teach. And, and that's, and that's the other problem again, and not to go too deep into the, down another rabbit hole, but that's the other problem with the left is they are soft. And so they melt down if you don't affirm their entire identity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> All right. So where can people find you? Where can people support you? Because obviously you yeah. said you're running for office and then you have hardwired as well. So yeah, where can so, just have everybody tell so, people where they can find you? <laughs> okay. Campaign website is tinaramirez.com. So pretty easy. And I mean, it, yes, it's a huge race. I would love to be, you know, one of the people that helps you know, bring, bring back the Senate for Governor Youngkin and actually make sure that parents do have a voice next year and we can get some good legislation passed. So, so please go and support it there. And then, um, you know, if they're interested in learning more about my work, they go to hardwiredglobal.org and, um, would love to hear from them. And I'll, I'll make sure you have those addresses for your, um, for your okay. notes on that. Yeah. Too. I think I got, I think they're in the description already. I just want to make sure that, um, yeah, I'm sure you, 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 pull them up, so you should have them, but <laughs> And then awesome. well, just, like follow us on social media and, you know, make sure that, you know, they report this guy. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go, go follow, yeah. go follow the tweet. I retweeted it. Um, and it's, yeah, I it's, know. I'm like, I was, I was just, it was crazy. I was just like, <laughs> you're like, oh I know gosh. this person. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. <laughs> my girl, what's going on there? Like, like, like even I, like my friends were doing like reports and stuff about this this week. And I'm like, <laughs> That's Tina. I and, yeah. and I, I know. I, I wish. I wish I would have. See, I could have reported on it too. And uh, you know, I was oh, like, I was like, hey, I can get you a quote. <laughs> <laughs> if they still want him, I'm more than happy to talk to anyone. I, we, the, I'll, the, I'll let everybody know. We win when we when we raise our voices and we don't let them silence us. And so that is what's so critical. That's what I, you know, when I'm working with people around the rest of the world, we want them to have a voice because, you know, I remember this is. I know we got to go, but I'll just tell you one story. When no, I you, you, you're, you're fine. Actually, I just, I cut it at an hour, but I could talk. As okay. As <laughs> so I, when I worked on the Hill for Congressman and we had people that were imprisoned in other countries, like for instance, there was this one, um, a, a, a young Muslim man in Egypt who was actually the one that stood up in defense of persecuted Christians there. And then he was, he was in prison for four years. And usually, you know, in, in Egyptian prison, when you're, because he spoke out against the government. So they were going to shut down his free speech. His name was um, Kareem Abdul Suleiman Amer. So Kareem. And he, so we actually intervened and the government was going to give him 10 years. They gave him four years, which was actually a miracle. And then I, I worked on the Hill for four years. Exactly. So I followed his case. And anytime we'd hear he was getting roughed up or not getting fed, we would be on it. And the Egyptian government knew it. And they were scared to death of me. And he was released right at the time that um, the revolution started. And he was standing there in front of the Coptic churches with the Christians defending them and their freedom. 
And it was the most powerful thing. I, I mean, I'll never forget him. But people in situations like that, one of the only things that keeps them alive is when in America, we, we speak their name, we mention them, we remember them, we talk about them, because that's the only thing that's keeping their governments from just torturing them or killing them. And obviously, that's a different situation in other countries. But the same principle applies, you know, we're stronger in numbers. And when we don't let any one person be silenced, and there are more of us, I think that I, I truly believe that. And so, you know, whatever the social media platform is, or, you know, even this platform, it's important for people to stand with each other. So that's my, that's my final Absolutely. word for the night, but thank that's you. Sarah. <laughs> sounds good. Thank you again for coming on. This was great. Um, yeah. Thank you for everything and, you're doing too. Of course. Thank you. Um, and so everybody make sure you guys go check out uh, the gays against groomer shop. You can also, you know, just go to my website, sarahigdon.com. Um, support on donor box or just follow me on Substack as well. Um, like I said, watch for my article that comes out tomorrow. It's, it's not my usual topic, so it's going to be a good one. So thanks again. And I will see you guys next time.